Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Arieh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. Blessing number two. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who opens the eyes of the blind. When you open your eyes in the morning, you say a blessing and you thank Hashem for opening your eyes. And in a deeper sense, opening your eyes, you know, we can know things. There are many things that we can know intellectually. But there comes a moment when like your eyes open up, like suddenly you see it for the first time. You can hear about something. You can know about something. You can read about something. But when you actually travel there and you see it for the first time, it's, it's an experience. It's a whole, you can't even compare. I studied it. I heard all about it. I read about it. I heard stories all my life. But when you're standing at the wall for the first time, when you actually see it, how can you compare? Experiencing it and knowing it are two different things. So too, we, we praise Hashem, we, we, we bless Hashem for opening our eyes, for giving us the ability to see, to see godliness. You see, for most people, godliness is too abstract. It's remote. It's something we hear about, we heard a sermon about it, we read about it, we even studied it. But it's not experiential. It's not something that you see and experience. But we ask Hashem, and Hashem gives us the ability to open our eyes, not just physically open our eyes. The miracle of seeing, which is an incredible miracle, but the ability to see and, and enjoy the light, to benefit from the light and actually see. When there's light, now and I have eyes, now I can see and I can distinguish between what's helpful, what's not helpful, what's an obstacle. But to thank Hashem for giving me the spiritual ability to see. Because the problem is that ego is too entrenched. You can learn about Hashem, you can learn about godly things, but the ego feels too comfortable. You know, that's something that's right in front of me. The ego is something I experience. It's natural. It feels very, very correct. It feels comfortable. Spirituality and godliness is too remote. It's too abstract. It's like knowledge, but it's not something I see with my eyes. The physical I see with my naked eye. The spiritual I can't see. So it's abstract. It's an idea. It's a concept. But it's not strong enough that it should govern my life. The physical governs my life because I see it. It's physical. I can relate to it. I can connect with it. It feels so good. It feels so natural. So I may know abstractly that I'm self-destructing, that it's not beneficial, and it's just nonsense, and it's superficial, and it's skin deep. All these arguments in the world go by the wayside. You know, the moment you see it, it's like the famous story with uh, Maimonides. Maimonides was making a, a, a point that you can't, an animal can't change its true nature. You can train the animal. In the zoo, you may train the animal, but you can't really change the nature of the animal. And the other doctors and philosophers argued, yeah, you could change. And to prove the point, they made a demonstration in front of, in front of the, the sultan, in front of the king. 
And they train these cats. They train them to act as waiters. They put them on suits, tuxedos. And at this ball, they were going to serve everyone. And they walked and they served. And it was amazing. Everyone was clapping. They couldn't believe it. This, this, this proved my Manari's theory. You see, animals could be trained. <laughs> my Manari's was sitting there the whole time with a smile on his face. And all he brought to the ball, to the banquet, he brought a bag. In the middle of the banquet, he opens the bag and he releases the mice. <laughs> the cats dropped, dropped the dishes, dropped everything, and they went chasing after the mice. <laughs> to prove the point that you can't, you can't really change, the animal will not change its real nature. You know, its real nature. And the same, you can argue with a human being. And that was Freud's argument. Freud's argument was, listen, a human being by nature is an animal. We just cover it up with, with, with culture, but it's, uh, you know, if you strip a human being away from all this culture, culture, schmulcher, you'll discover that he's just a beast inside. And that's what he claims. In order to be healthy, the human being has to embrace his bestiality and just acknowledge that you're a beast and don't pretend to be anything else. <laughs> and that will be the beginning of your cure. That was his whole take on life. So, in a, a very crude word, that a human being, you can't really change your nature. Freud once met the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, who was his patient, not uh, because before he was a psychiatrist, he was a nerve doctor. So he had some physical issues and he, he, he met with him. And they were discussing, he used to love to talk with the Rebbe about psychology and about, uh, so he asked the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, what is Yiddishkeit, what is Judaism? He said, Judaism is mind over matter. That the mind could control the heart. And he answered in one word. Freud says in one word, Ummeglich, it's impossible. He didn't believe it's possible. Don't kid yourself. This whole idea, notion that a person, to be civilized, a person should control himself and control his urges and control his instincts. No, that's not possible. It goes against our nature. You can't change your nature, like, like the cat. You can't change your nature. You can train, you can civilize, and today till tomorrow, in the moment of truth, um, it's all nonsense. And his prize student, Viktor Frankl, completely rejected his master's whole thesis. Why? Because he lived through the Holocaust. He was in a concentration camp. He was a Jew. Most psychologists are Jews. Most of the founders and most psychiatrists and psychologists and most... Till today, most of the patients are. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so he was in a concentration camp. And he said, according to Freud's theory, a concentration camp where they reduced human beings to numbers. You didn't even have a name. They tattooed your number. And you were treated worse than mice and animals. And all, all you had in mind was, how am I going to survive? How am I going to survive another day? People should have been reduced to animals. Their true core nature should have emerged. And yeah, and there were many people who did behave that way. You had capos and others, and all they cared about was self-preservation, and they trampled and sacrificed and everything, just stole and lied and cheated just to survive another day. But he said, I've seen too many cases of saintliness, of such kindness, of people who shared their last bread with someone who was worse off than them. According to Freud, this would be impossible. 
So I saw that he's 100% wrong. A human being at his core and his essence is not an animal. A human being at his core and his essence, his essence is his search for meaning. And that became the whole foundation of his philosophy, that man's search for meaning. Man needs purpose in life. Man needs meaning in life. And that's the light. The light is when a person is looking for meaning. What is my purpose? Light illuminates. Without the light, the object is still there. But without the light, I don't see what's its meaning, what's its purpose. When you open the light and you have the eyes to see, suddenly I'm looking at everything. I'm looking a little deeper. What is the meaning behind this? What is the purpose behind this? So I look at everything with the, with, the light, with the light, the spiritual light, and the wisdom, the eye of the mind. I take everything and I start asking myself, what is its meaning? What is its purpose? What's, why, why am I here? Why is this thing here? And when you ask that question, why is this here? Suddenly you start categorizing everything in the world. There's some things in this world that's holy. And I have to pursue, embrace, and... and then there are things in this world that are evil, that are poison. Its whole meaning and purpose is for me to reject it. To identify it as poison, as evil. And then there are things in the world that are neutral. It's up to me. I can elevate it or I can degrade it. If you don't have that light and you don't, have, you don't open your eyes and you don't have that light and you don't have that wisdom to distinguish, then you take everything at face value. Well, if it's here, if it's a reality, I must make peace with it. These were the people who made peace with Hitler because, hey, it's a reality. You've got to accommodate him. These are the pe- people who made peace with Iran. You've got to accommodate him. It's a reality. We've got to sit down and have coffee with them. We've got to work it out. Instead of being able to distinguish good and evil and calling out evil for evil and rejecting evil and having the strength and the courage and the moral courage to fight evil, That's only if you have wisdom, if you have eyes to see, if you're able to distinguish, if you realize that everything has a purpose. It's not tangible, but it's looking deeper, looking inside. Why did Hashem create it? Some things Hashem created is because He wants us to embrace. Some things Hashem created is because the whole purpose is He wants us to reject it. He wants us to identify it, that this is poison. And the purpose of poison is not to eat it, because it'll kill you. The purpose of poison is to reject it. The purpose of evil is to reject it. Why did Hashem create non-kosher food? For a Jew to reject it. It's not here, okay, it's here, I might as well, it's here, I have to deal with it. No, the way you deal with it is by rejecting it. The things that are not kosher, Hashem created it, but what's the purpose? Why did He create all these non-kosher experiences? in order for us to reject it. But that's only if you have the light and you have the wisdom to look deeper, not take things at face value. So we thank Hashem for giving us the blessing of opening our eyes, to be able to penetrate, to look, things, to look at things in a much, much deeper way, and to be able to see the godly purpose. But it's not something that comes naturally and instinctively. It's, it's a blessing we bless Hashem. And we ask Hashem to give us the strength. By blessing, we ask Hashem to draw down this ability, to draw down, give us the strength that we should be able to open our eyes and be able to see the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. And this is the ability of holiness, to be able to see. 
That's why you say a pikach. A pikach in Hebrew is a, a wise man. Because a wise man, pikeach, is someone who opens his eyes. He's able to see. And when you're able to see, you see truth. To be able to see truth. That's the difference between holiness and the opposite of holiness. The opposite of holiness just sees the shell, just sees the surface, skin deep. It doesn't see in a penetrating way. It doesn't see the inside. And therefore, that's why it's klipa. It's a shell. It's superficial. It's only holiness that, that you open your eyes and you're able to see the truth, the depth. And that determines the reality. So we thank Hashem for this incredible gift. We open our eyes. We realize we are just a, a, we're creating the image of Hashem. So when we physically open our eyes, there's much more to it than just opening our eyes. It's telling us there's a deeper way of opening our eyes. It's also opening up our inner eye. So we're blessing Hashem and thanking Hashem for this ability of opening our eyes. Just like as soon as we, we, hear, we hear the rooster, we bless Hashem and thank Hashem for that, for that gift and for what it means and for what it signifies. Mm-hmm.